Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. You're wondering about that uh, particular sukkah that you see there on the screen. That's from the CYO camp, 2007. Wow. So it goes back a little ways. That was a wonderful thing that Daniel's uh, mother was uh, spearheaded the decoration. A lot of people got involved with that, including the kids. You might notice those little drawings there on the backside of the sukkah. They got little drawings of uh, various little things on it and letters and sayings on it. So... A uh, wonderfully decorated temporary shelter, which is kind of a very good theme of what we're going to be looking at here today with Sukkot, the Festival of Tabernacles, the Festival of Booths. So when we look at this particular festival, we have seen here the explanations from the word. Why does heaven want us to dwell in Sukkot, in these booths, these shacks, temporary shelters during the days of Sukkot, the Festival of Tabernacles. Well, we got the passage that we have, and we just read earlier here today, Leviticus 23, verses 42 through 43. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native-born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Mitzrayim. I am the Lord. So, you have that key explanation there. Now that I, I know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Mitzrayim. So, they were doing in booths when they were brought out. But then there's also that other kicker in there. You know, I am the Lord your God. Because if you might recall, that's the first commandment. You know, we we might think that, hey, it just starts with don't have any gods before me. But actually, if you roll it back a little ways, it starts with the statement, I am the Lord your God who did what? Brought you out, brought you out from the land of bondage, from Mitzrayim. So when we look at this, well, what are we really supposed to be learning from this particular situation? What are we supposed to be learning about this in these booths that we find ourselves in here? And even that they're decorated, you see the kids as they grow up over the years and they get bigger and taller. And uh, this is one from Arosi where we were down there in the Gosset Sukkah uh, last year. And this kind of a thing we're going to be remaking tomorrow. This is the sukkah over in the courtyard of St. Luke's Episcopal Church. So they've gotten excited about having it there again. So we hope to bless them and to build that up again. Now, when you talk about shacks, this is a shack. This is the, from a trip that the Gossets took us on down there to the Mexican, uh, western Mexican coast in Oaxaca State back in 2013. So that was clearly a shack. It was just sticks tied to trees and uh, hope that didn't blow over. 
But when you look at these, these particular explanations that we have, we've got various explanations that we get from these particular passages. So the explanations about living in the temporary structures and that they were in these structures for 40 years. When you think of tents, you know, I think, oh, they camped in tents. And you're thinking everybody was going down to REI or whatever, and they got their nice big uh, glamping tents, and they had them up there, and they had the generator going out back with the, with the flat panel TV and the satellite dish. No, they're not like modern-day Bedouins who, you know, are, have a quite nice nomadic lifestyle. But no, this was a shelters that they were putting together as they were going out there. But they were also under another shelter, that shelter that traveled with them, the cloud that also protected them, that shaded them. As it says, it gave them shade by day and heat by night and also light. So shade and also light and shelter. So some other things about why the sukkah. We see the the various parallels that you have, and we've talked about this in times past, about the parallels between Sukkot and Shemini Atzeret, or Tabernacles in the eighth day, and also the ones, the appointed times in the first month there of Pesach or Passover and Matzot or Unleavened Bread, and the timings of all these. For, for example, on the first day of the first month, you've got Rosh Chodesh, or the new moon. And the first day of the seventh month, you've got Yom Teruah, which is, or the day of blowing trumpets, which is also a, a new moon. So it's a renewal. It's also a waking up time period. Look out for what's coming. Tenth day of the first month, Lamb Selection Day, choosing what will be coming next. And... In, in case you're wondering, these are available if you just go to that link we saw earlier, and you'll see it there in your bulletins at halal.info slash tabernacles. So this and also much, much more is available there. So on the 14th day of the first month, you've got Pesach. Well, you look on the, on the seventh month, well, there's not a parallel there. It's not on the 14th day. Well, that's odd. Is the pattern now broken? in the seventh month. But then you see like in the 15th day to the 21st day of the first month, you've got matzot or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then in the seventh month, you've got Sukkot, also the 15th day to the 21st day of the seventh month is Sukkot. But then you see on the 22nd day of the seventh month, you've got Shemini Atzeret or the eighth day. Well, isn't that just very interesting? And we mentioned this before, is that you've got a mirror image of it. Seven plus one, seven days of Sukkot, one day of Shemini Sarah, eighth day. Back up the tape, hit rewind. First month, Pesach plus seven days of unleavened bread. So very interesting pictures that you have there. So thus, when you see some of the explorations about the connections between the festivals and the first and the seventh month together, it was like they were coming out, coming out from the land of Mitzrayim, from the house of bondage. And where was the first stop? Sukkot. And also other 
parallels that you have there about eating matzah, about being within basically easy recapture distance of where they were camping there their first first night. But then when you see that the provision that they had, that the pursuers didn't actually come until several days later. It looks like, as we've talked about during the times of of Passover and unleavened bread, yeah, the timing looks like, yeah, it's during the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread as to when the pursuers were catching up with them and the Red Sea, when they had their back to the sea. So in the front, we just talked about that here on the Day of Atonement, that you had the army, the pursuer, right in front of your face, and then your back was up against the sea. What are you going to do? Oh, look at that that pillar that was leading you, that becomes your umbrella, that becomes your shelter, moves from the front, where? To the back. Becomes now a block against your pursuer that is coming against you. So your shelter is now your protector, protecting you not only from the elements, but from a pursuing superpower, which had a devastatingly powerful army for the time period. So those are some aspects of it. Now, when we talk about we are having our ceremony of uh, shaking the lulav to the four corners of the earth for the future bringing in of the nations, all the nations into the kingdom of God. And you have various symbols that we've talked about in years past, and you see throughout the Bible about the palm. One symbol you might see is of the Torah itself. You see the idea of palm trees. And you see them in hurricanes. When you see footage of a hurricane, when the wind is blowing, they bend over. But then they pop right back up, unless they get pulled up out of the ground. <laughs> but if they don't get pulled up out of the ground, if the soil in which they are rooted is uh, decent enough, they will just bounce right back up again. Willow talks about that in the Psalms, about like the heart, the, the innermost being, emotions, your mind, and such. The myrtle, kind of similar to Hadassah, which is when you read the book of Esther, uh, Hadassah is um, the picture of prayer or humility and also of the fruit trees. Various symbols of that throughout scripture, but one of the things you think about with fruit trees is what? Fruit. Because we got a number of parables, including from the Messiah, when he goes up to a fig tree and he says, where's the figs? But he says, well, this was not the season for figs. Oh, coming to expect fruit at a time when you're not expecting to be producing fruit. Huh. Kind of a very interesting picture of um, don't always be cramming for the test, so to speak, for the kingdom of God. Be ready whenever the inspection comes. You know, you think about those people who have the vineyard across the street, and they're watching right now. Here in Sonoma County, they're about three weeks behind where they're normally at, and everybody's worrying because we had just had a little soaker last night, 
And those soakers are going to start coming more and more and more, especially when they're talking about super El Nino this fall and winter. So that becomes very worrisome because when you start getting more and more of that rain going over there on those grapes, that's a bad, bad news. Start getting mildew, rot. If you don't get enough days for it to dry out, the clusters get destroyed. They start popping and making a mess and the bugs get after them. It just becomes a terrible disaster that happens. So, you know, right now they're doing out there checking the sugars, checking the sugar levels over there. Is it time? Tasting them. Is it time? Is it time to pick the grapes? The growers say, pick them now. <laughs> pick them now. And give me my money. But the winemakers are like, nope, nope. The flavor's just not there yet. Flavor's just not there yet. So think about with uh, our harvester, our heavenly harvester who comes to see us, and he starts sampling us. Are, has our flavor development reached the right level? Has our color development reached the right level? <laughs> We're not sweet enough. <laughs> Indeed, yes. But also with the olive, and the, when the olive was added in another aspect of the Sukkot festival, you find that in Nehemiah chapter 8, 15, when they were doing the reinstatement, again, basically hitting the restart for the nation of Israel, getting the temple back in place, etc. One of the things that they had brought in for their um, festival of Sukkot was olive branches, which factors in very heavily throughout prophecies about, you know, think of Zechariah with the olive trees and feeding into the menorah. So you get that picture of light, light for the menorah, light for where God's eyes are. We talked about that when we were going through the construction of the tabernacle, that the menorah is like the eyes of God that are looking, looking to see what the state of people is like. So with all those, the lesson is before the day of the word, there'll be a great gathering of people, a great gathering of people. And you see in Ezekiel chapters 48 through, uh, 40 through 48, so 40 through the end of the book, you see the de description of this temple. It's called Ezekiel's temple, third temple, various descriptions of it. But as we've mentioned in times past, there is a lot of parallels between the descriptions there in Ezekiel of this temple and the descriptions of the temple in Revelation, as far as the measurements, etc., um, the people measuring it and the observations of it. But you have a picture of also people being measured people being measured. So we don't want to be have the handwriting on the wall, so to speak, or really true to speak. You know, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Uh-oh. No, don't want that. So when we think about the other aspects with what is really the heart of the matter of Sukkot, and that is for Elohim to be dwelling with his people. That is the point of it, and it really goes back to the garden, Genesis 3, where Adonai was walking directly with Adam and Chava until they were enticed to dwell differently, think differently, 
from Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6 and going through to verse 10. When the woman saw that the tree of knowledge was good, <laughs> when the tree saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So we've talked about this in times past when we go through Genesis and we go through this passage and the lesson that's there about being real, being transparent before God and how that picture comes in of whether you're clothed, unclothed before God. Are you ashamed, not ashamed? Basically, the lesson is when God can see everything about you, are you concerned or not concerned? Well, it depends if you have something to hide. So one of the lessons that comes down, you know, because you'll, you'll have people who want to live differently will think, well, the idea of clothes is a, a structure of the patriarchy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, well, what does it really have to do? Well, when you discard that idea of there being anything to hide, that there's any sort of aspect of shame in life, that there are things that should be hidden in life or that you may want to hide, that there are corners of your life that you don't want to be revealed, then you see, well, we're not in Eden anymore, so to speak. So there is something to hide. So we all look to be in a place where we are real with God, where God knows everything about us, where we are just completely dwelling with no barriers or restrictions anymore of us. So as we go on further, we see also that after redeeming Israel out of the house of bondage, Adonai wanted to dwell directly with humanity in an overt way. So you see some examples of, you could say, covert or passing references or whether you're talking about Melchizedek that's kind of a passing sort of thing you see the angel of the Lord come in through passing experiences and apparitions appearances but to come in and just say okay well he had an experience Yaakov had an experience Avram had an experience well I didn't experience it well now you're going to have basically Right there in the middle of the camp of Israel is basically the embassy of God, right there. So it's an overt thing and kind of can't miss the pillar of fire and the cloud over the whole camp. Can't miss that. So there's not going to be any more a, well, it's his experience. You know, that's your lived experience, but it's not mine. Well, no, that's a little hint now to the world that what is going on in Israel is not just 
you know, you do you over there. No, this is a suddenly, this is going to be, everybody's going to be doing this. So you better maybe learn what's going on. And we saw a little bit of that in Solomon's prayer, that he prayed that this would be a house of prayer for all nations so that they would be drawn into this. Hey, what's going on over there in Israel? Something you see similar in Deuteronomy, where he's praying that they would hear. Hear about your ways. Hear about your laws. Hear about all these things. And say, huh, what's going on over there? So some of the examples we see of that in Exodus 25, verses 8 through 9. Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them according to all that I am about to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. And then there's another whole bunch of other parallels you see of that in Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46, Leviticus 26, 11, and also in the prelude up to what we read here earlier today in 1 Kings 6, 13, where he was talking to Shalomo about the temple that he was going to be building. But also saying as a pre as a kind of a precursor to that you don't just build this thing and it's going to be a lucky charm no walk in my ways then i'm going to dwell in your midst otherwise ichavod the glory is departed otherwise abomination of desolation and then desolation for your your nation too so that one of the things that you see kind of moving forward from that is that as Adonai prepares to restore his creation to manufacturer's defaults, a key goal is that it, to fully dwell with humanity. And we see examples of that in Ezekiel 43 and also Revelation 21. Ezekiel 43, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard one speaking to me from the house while a man was standing beside me. He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. And the house of the Lord will not again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their harlotry, and the corpses of the kings when they die by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only the wall between me and them. And they have defiled my holy name by their abominations, which they have committed. So I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their harlotry and the corpses of their kings far from me and I will dwell among them forever. So that is a picture, you know, when you think of the architecture it was, about like the house of the kings, the house of David, etc. And then you see later on, as the second temple gets built up, that you have the, <laughs> them, what did they put right next to the temple? What did they put next to it? Freeway, <laughs> shopping mall, <laughs> concession stands. Yeah. Uh, well, what they put in, in, you could say, in the first century time period 
was, you could say, a government building right smack dab right up next to it. Well, that was for safety and security. You know, the Romans had to make sure that they could look down and see what was going on down in their temple to make sure that they were keeping order and whatnot. But it's a very similar situation to what was going on with the first temple, where you have, uh, and you see even uh, David laments about it. It's like, I got this great house, and where is the creator of heaven and earth living? In a tent. Well, that's what his intent was to begin with, and with the pattern that he put there forward, but he's like, no, he should really have a good house. Uh, Alex, you have a comment or a question on that? In the tent? It's the tent is portable, um, yes. You know, all these other cultures at that time were, were trying to build these mm-hmm. fixed objects, and God was like, no. Mm. So even David might have been a little misinformed. Too. Yeah. Well, one of the things you, you note, though, is that he said, I will dwell there, but you have to fly right. This is not going to be just like you build it, you bring me the stuff, you pull the right handle on the celestial slot machine and out come the blessings. This is not going to happen that way. It's not like the other, the way the nations operate. Yes. Yeah, and also along the lines of portability, um, he brought them to a land of milk and honey, but it was good some years and not so good other years where these other guys were living in these river valleys that were fantastic for thousand years yes until the river changed course oops or it dried up and Uh-oh. away goes the indus river culture yes. the initial one and away goes uh uh abraham's old hometown and yeah you know so well so uh, happens there when a you're certain, uh, he was doing it for the good reason for yes. us thank you lord <laughs> yeah when your your enemy diverts the river and then marches through the the, the riverbed right into your city oops yeah uh, that doesn't work well when you do something like that. But you see also that one of the accusations I have about the host of the house of God was that they were, as it mentions here, defiled my holy name by their abominations. And you read about that in Ezekiel. If you roll back the tape and read the earlier chapters of it, kind of up kind of the first half of the book, you'll see what was going on with the priesthood. They were bringing in horrific sorts of things. And you get this vision where you get the cutaway image where he tells the prophet to basically dig right through the wall into the side of the temple. Take a look what's going on inside. Um, It was awful what was going on inside. It was supposedly the house of the Lord well, what was actually inside of it? It says all kinds of detestable things, the idols, etc. Of all, yeah, ill repute, yes. The heart of the people was sick. The heart of the people was sick. And you see that the priests were out front of the temple facing their boss. And it wasn't the Lord. Because they were facing which direction? Yes, towards the sun, not towards the Lord. Because you remember the orientation of it, of the tabernacle, when you come in through the front door, which way are you facing? 
you're not facing towards the sun. You're facing away from the sun. So if you're facing towards the sun, who has looking at your back, so to speak? Yes, the Lord, King of heaven and earth. So when we look at, in Revelation 21, verses 2 through 4, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Yes, hallelujah indeed. So one of the things that you see there is a key way that this happens because the book of Revelation is what? Compilation, it's a revelation of what? Yes, Yeshua Mashiach. Not about beasts, not about, you know, third world war. This is a revelation of the Messiah. That is the entire purpose of the book. So one of those things, oh, people, well, how are you supposed to read Revelation? Well, first you have to figure out what it's about. And it's not about beasts, and it's not about world wars. It's about revealing who is actually hitting the reset button here in the midst of it. And then you also take a look and see, well, what do the other prophets have to say about it? And then you'll say there's a lot of other prophets that are brought together and compiled into the book of Revelation. Chief among them, Daniel, also Ezekiel, but there's a host of other of the prophets that are brought together, and there are pictures in there, including the mark of the beast. It doesn't parachute into prophecy in the book of Revelation. You actually see it referenced earlier. Yes, uh, Christine, go ahead. In Revelation, so much of the symbols are brought from Torah. Yeah, and then the prophets, yes. Right, so the seed always begins at the first mention, and then you do a progressive mention. And until Revelation is understood that everything was laid out in the Torah and in the prophets and in the writings, they'll always look at Revelation baffled and be more concerned about the 666 rather than the sevens. So Mm. it is a great challenge. Challenge indeed. So that when you see in the book of Revelation, uh, yes, Ben and I am. Go ahead, please. Now, when we're talking about Ezekiel and all of, uh, you know, scratching through the wall and how they were the priests, which were the leaders, which were the facilitators that were Mm -hmm. supposed to be ministering before the Lord, and also to the people. They were the ones that were to bring the word. They were to teach them and instruct them and guide them in the ways of the Lord. And they weren't. They were leading them to Tammuz. They were leading them to a false gospel. Mm. And when I look at Revelation and about Yeshua HaMashiach, he warns us that in these times that they, as though in the days of like Ezekiel and the days of Noah, so when he comes, there are going to be those that are doing those same things, but on a global scale, 
or they're going to be leading people to another gospel, to another Christ. And I just wanted to make that correlation. And also with uh, lots of uh, followers and retweets as well. Yes. Oh, yes, uh, Larry, uh, go, go ahead. Is that right at the very beginning, it tells you what it is. Mm-hmm. This is a revelation given by God yes. uh, to, um, to Yeshua's uh, uh, bond servants. Right. That's what it's about. It's about their revelation of what the whole key of the situation is. Because you see, one of the pivotal moments in the book of Revelation is what? They've got a scroll. Who is worthy to unlock the scrolls? Yes. Worthy is the Lamb indeed. So thus, when you see that the apostle, Yohanan, and also the prophet, Yohanan, the baptizer, the Baptist, when he connects Yeshua as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we talked about this on Yom Kippur, that you have the blending there of Pesach, Passover, and with Day of Atonement. And also, you see in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, tabernacled amongst mankind, that you've got the blending together of these, of the Lamb of God taking away the sins, burying the sins, carry them all, carrying them off. And we know from the, from the New Covenant prophecy, we read that on Yom Kippur, from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And the key part is that ends, it says, that I will forgive their iniquities, and what? Hold it as a grudge against them for all time, and then stick it to you every time that you come to say, oh, please forgive me? No. Remember them no more. So that picture of Yom Kippur about carrying them away, carrying the sins, transgressions, and iniquities away, and remembering them no more. That is what that is about, where heaven is saying, I don't remember these things anymore. Or put it another way, you know, where are your accusers? Yeah, where are your accusers? Yes, Uh, Rose. Yes. Where are your accusers? Uh, in, in John 7, when the woman was being accused and Christ knelt down in the dirt yeah. and he began writing, mm-hmm. and this is what he wrote. O Lord, the hope of Israel that all forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of the living God. Mm. So uh, my question would be, do you want your name written in the dirt, or do you want your name written in the book of life? Yeah. So that's Jeremiah seventeen thirteen. Yeah, indeed. There's a number of possibilities where that could be. Start writing their names, and they go, <laughs> wait a minute. And they yes. knew Torah. Yes. They knew the law. Yeah, you know, it gives gives you the the picture back wrong. when you're when you're talking about uh, what God does with dirt and people, or call him Dirt Man, otherwise known as Adam. Yes, uh, go ahead. I heard another um, version of what he was writing, and mm, lots of uh, since we don't know exactly <laughs> what it was, this one was he just started writing idolatry. 
Mm. Um, infidelity. All of these sins of the men that were there, he just started writing them in the dirt. Mm -hmm. And we don't know for sure that that's what it was, but whatever it was he was writing in the dirt certainly convicted them. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah, sins, transgressions, iniquities are just varying degrees of moving away from God, indeed. So that when we look at you have the Messiah, and it's pictured there in John chapter 1 and in other places, Hebrews chapter 1, about the glory of God contained and moving forward, that you see the revelation of the Father. You see that's there in, in his last prayer with his closest students recorded there in John starting in, verse, in chapter 13 and moving onward to reveal who God was. And that's a part of the new covenant prophecy also, that they would know you. They would know you. And that's the same thing that Yeshua prayed for, that they would know you. That they would know you. And when we talk about that they would know you, we see that there are also a number of biblical connections between the time of Sukkot in this time period and what we see recorded in the Gospels. And there is some larger deep dives that we've done in years past that are, we have linked there for some further work, which takes at least an hour or two to really work through in detail. But needless to say that Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapters 1 and 2 provide a lot of time references in them. And they're not just passing references. They're actually, for people who should know, they do know. And if people who should know what those references mean, and they choose to ignore them and just cast them aside as being irrelevant, then um, you're going to lose the, the picture. And we saw that in recorded there in John chapter 7. Go look it up. No prophet comes out of the Galil. Yeah, we've read about that before. Indeed. Indeed, in Isaiah, it talks about what? Zebulun? Naphtali? Where are those located again? The Galil. Yes. So, again, to the people who should know, they do know. And thus are held responsible for what they decide to, to do, do with that. So that's, that's one of the things that we talked about on Yom Kippur when we talked about the whole list, long list of various things. Each one of us gets convicted by the word every time we go around and we see these things in the Torah, throughout the prophets, throughout the apostolic writings, we see these things. And the Spirit of God keeps reminding us, hey, kind of like what the Apostle Yaakov says there in the book of James, that it's like a mirror and we look at ourselves through the law of God as a mirror to us. What do we see when we look into this mirror? What do we see? Should, should we see Yeshua decide that that should be what the Father sees? Or are we just so fantastic? We just kind of kick that mirror aside and go, ha, look at us. Oh, yeah. Uh, dirty rags, to put it kindly. So, let last end with this. Thirsting after righteousness. There in 
John chapter 4, verse 15, where the Samaritan woman, and he's talking to her about living water. And so she says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Goes on to say, so I'm going to have to keep coming back here. Keep coming back here for water out of a well. So we have coming up here at the end, on the seventh day of Sukkot, the last and greatest day of the festival. We read about that here today in John chapter 7. That's this idea of rejoicing before the Lord, rejoicing with the Torah, and just remember what it is. It's, it's not like the code book for a social club. It is the revelation of who God is. And the revelation of who God is is about what? And we read about that with the pattern of the tabernacle that he wants to dwell with mankind. But we need to know the character of the one who wants to dwell with us. And with that, about the character that he wants to mold us into, so that each time, each time we come around to this season, and each week we keep looking at ourselves and saying, well, where are we going? Are we continuing to move from our house of bondage toward the land of freedom? Or are we wandering around in the desert? We just keep wandering around, wandering around. So it's like, remember that we were sad in numbers. It's like, how long are you going to keep circling around the mountain? You've got your instructions. Follow the leader and go to the land of freedom. And that is where you'll find rest. Not wandering around the desert. That is where you will find rest. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.